really grateful to be here. Uh, as the video said, uh, we're part of a missions organization called Steiger. Uh, and, and really, in a sentence, what we do is we mobilize followers of Jesus to reach the people in their lives who are far from God. That's our passion. Um, and, and if, you know, I'm sure you've been paying attention. That is where culture is going. Uh, that increasingly we live in a country and a world that sees God and the church and Christianity as an outdated tradition of the past. Uh, and, and though we want to make our churches welcoming and inviting, and we should, the day in which you can simply say to someone on the street, hey, come to my church, that day is kind of going away. We kind of need to be like Jesus, go to them communicate the gospel in a way that they can understand, begin that discipleship process that one day they may be ready to come here and join us. Uh, But it is our heart to mobilize all of us uh, to get out there and and to effectively reach people in in a very post-Christian culture that we live in today. Uh, And so with that in mind, uh, I want to share about an event that we got coming up. Uh, David said it was okay if I did this. We have an event coming up on May 1st. Uh, It's called the Summer of Impact. And historically, this was known as the No Longer Music Send-Off Show. And I am part of a band called No Longer Music. Uh, It's a very unusual combination of theater and live music and special effects and video. And we go all over the world uh, and we tell a modern day version of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and it's done in a very compelling way. Uh, it's intended to relate to someone without a church background. Uh, and every year we would put together our new show. We'd assemble our team from all over the world. We'd perform this show at, typically at Grace Church in Eden Prairie. And then we would head off on our world tour. And we'd invite those from churches throughout the Twin Cities and, and the suburbs to come see the show and support that. Uh, We have reframed this entire event to be about all followers of Jesus. The truth is that every person here has people in their lives, whether it's family, friends, coworkers, colleagues that are far from Jesus, and and, and they they just aren't coming here. And, And so we need to be equipped to go to them. And so this entire purpose of this event is to mobilize you uh, with awareness of the problem, with tools and resources to deal with it. Uh, And then in addition to all of that, we will be performing uh, the latest version of our show uh, as now, thankfully, we can finally hit the road after almost three years of uh, COVID-related shenanigans. So we're ready to to hit the road. Um, It's a free event. I know it's a bit of a drive. I just did it. It's not that bad. Come, come. It's, it's free, as I said, and you will leave more equipped to reach the people in your world who are far from Jesus. So I recommend that you do that. Um, we have little uh, flyers about it outside just to remind you. Uh, as I always say, uh, if what I say this morning resonates with you, we have a podcast called Provoke and Inspire. It's our way of just staying connected to, our, to the world that, that is involved in what we're doing. And we answer the question, how to be faithful for Jesus in a post-Christian culture. Uh, and we have conversations every week about this. We invite guests from throughout the Christian world. Uh, not too long ago, we had Matt Chandler. Uh, we had Dallas Jenkins from The Chosen and Tim Keller and others. But really, the whole point of it is, how can we encourage ourselves and you to effectively reach those who are far from Jesus? Uh, so that's one great way to stay connected. Uh, on a much more sobering note, um, it's always hard for me to watch that video Uh, that I showed in the beginning, especially in the last few weeks, because one of the key places that we work around the world is Ukraine. Uh, We have 33 full-time missionaries in Ukraine. We have hundreds of volunteers, uh, and almost all of them, especially the men, of course, are still there as we speak. Um, We are kind of reeling as a mission right now, trying to figure out how to respond to this horrific evil. Um, Our 
We have a big training center in the east of Germany that typically houses our mission school. It's been repurposed to basically just house uh, the women and children of our men who are stuck there. Um, we've received them there and we're trying to care for them as they deal with the trauma of having left their husbands and brothers and, and others behind in this country. Um, there are many ways that you can give, but if you feel led to give through us, we are doing some, we, I am doing nothing. Our people on the ground are doing some extraordinary work. I mean, we've got these courageous men who are there driving into the, the most dangerous parts of the city, picking up women and children, delivering food and supplies, praying with people. We've got one of our young guys, he's one of our young leaders who refuses to leave Kiev because he has so many discipleship relationships in the city. Instead, feels like he needs to be there to pray with people, to meet physical needs. And so even as it's being bombed as we speak, he is there preaching the gospel. If that doesn't give a little perspective, it certainly has made everything I do a little bit more difficult. And so consider praying for our people. Consider praying for the whole country. Uh, it may feel like a million miles away from us, but safety and security is not guaranteed for any of us. I can tell you when I was touring every major city that is being bombed right now, I never expected that it wouldn't be there the next time I wanted to come back. And so we just don't know and it puts a renewed urgency on my life to live for what matters. Because we may think that things are easy now, but they can be taken away from us in a second. Let me just pray. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us now. Because it is urgent. And cultural, nominal Christianity is not enough. Lord, this world needs followers of Jesus more than ever to be powerful tools of your love and redemption. And I know that that's the heart of this church. I know that. So Lord, in, in, in a small way, if I can amplify what is consistently preached from this stage, let me do that. But let it only be your words. Let them not be mine. And just speak to us this morning. Amen. I was having a conversation with one of our leaders in Europe a while ago. And he was at a conference and he was speaking to an older missions leader. And this older missions leader was asking him, how's it going? How are things going in your mission? And, and Luke Greenwood, our guy, was telling him, things are going great. You know, we're, we're seeing this move of God where all of our people are getting out into the streets throughout cities all over the world and preaching the gospel like never before. And, and he was sharing with all this enthusiasm the way God was just giving our people all of this boldness to share the truth. And this older missions leader looked at him and said, you know, I used to do that kind of stuff when I was young. You know, and, and I'm not trying to make this guy the point or to judge him, or I'm sure there's more to the story, but as I heard this, it really struck something in me. And, and really, it kind of came to a head with, a, with a, a sentence, like a mantra that I kept telling myself after hearing this, and it was this sentence, I don't want to be a professional Christian. What do I mean by that? Of course, I don't mean that I get paid to do it. What I mean, my working definition is I am a professional Christian when my faith has become stale, it's become a routine. I might look the part, act the part, speak the language, blend into the culture, but I'm riding the wave. There's no personal intimacy. There's no reverence. There's no growth. There's no risk. And I'm making no difference in the world. And again, I'm not trying to make much of this guy's one statement, but it did something in me to say, God, I don't want to ever say I used to do radical, crazy, bold, faith-filled things when I was young. I want to do those things until the day I die. 
That is my heart. I don't want to be a professional, nominal, cultural Christian. And for this church, I don't want this church or any church that I have the privilege of speaking to to be a professional Christian church. And what I mean by that is a church that looks good, it sounds good, it's got all the right bells and whistles, but it's powerless, it's predictable, and it's human. I know that's not your desire for this church or for your life because I think what God wants is for our faith to be on fire. For us to be powerful instruments of his love and truth in the world today. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is how can we safeguard our hearts against the slide towards professional Christianity, against just kind of doing the routine? How can we safeguard ourselves or put this way, how can we cultivate and maintain a faith that's on fire. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to give you four major keys as far as I can see it for how we keep our faith on fire. And the first is we got to make it our own. We got to make it yours. You know, many of us have spent our whole lives in church and and this can be kind of said in a pejorative way, like it's a bad thing. Of course, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But we can kind of be like, yeah, you know, I kind of just grew up and I've, I've been in church my whole life. And I remember as a kid, you know, because of the mission I'm part of, I was often uh, sort of confronted with some very dramatic testimonies. And I'm sure in this church, there are some dramatic testimonies. And I remember being 10 years old or somewhere around there and, you know, I'd hear about, you know, I was a drug dealer and then Jesus saved me or I was in the satanic cult and then Jesus saved me. And I remember thinking as a 10 year old, I got a boring testimony, like, that's kind of, you know, I don't, I don't have any cool stories to tell. I didn't have any, this radical conversion. I just kind of grew up in this. Now, of course, I know now how, how foolish that sounds, right? I shouldn't want these, these stories. I shouldn't want this destruction. In fact, as a parent now, I pray daily that my kids would have boring testimonies. I don't want them to have some dramatic story of destruction and then God had to pull them back. I want them to just go, yeah, Jesus, you're real. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I'm in. That's what I want. I'm sure that's what you desire for yourself and your kids as well. But the problem is when we do grow up in this, when we do kind of absorb the culture around us, the risk is that it becomes normal. It becomes kind of routine. The expectations kind of dull, and over time, it just becomes kind of this professional thing that we do, this part of our culture that we've absorbed, or maybe, for some of us here, it was never our faith at all. So we need to ask a crucial question this morning, and that is, am I riding the wave? Or put another way, what is my faith like when nobody else is around? If all of the structure went away, if everything that, that kind of props up my faith disappeared, what would the substance of my faith be? Now, it's crucial that we have community. Absolutely. God loves the church. It was his idea. He wants us to work out our faith together with other people. But the reality is your faith, my faith, cannot be sustained by the passions and momentums of others. Not in the long run. We've got to make this faith thing our own. We all kind of hear about the camp high, right? We've all kind of experienced that idea. Like you go on some crazy camp and, and, and like you get all inspired, you know, and you, your faith gets all high and then you come home and like a few days later, it's like you just don't feel that anymore. Like I think we all know what I'm talking about. 
And of course, there's ebbs and flows in our faith, but the truth is, we do need to ask ourselves some honest questions about whether it's really ours. So let me just hit you with two ways, two sort of tests. Very basic, nothing revolutionary, but the first one is, are you personally seeking God? Like for yourself, We can be around a church culture that prays, and I believe this church prays, or you can be around a group of friends or a small group that prays or seeks God or studies the word, but it it never really becomes ours, right? We're always kind of just around it. So are you personally seeking God? And not in a casual way, not as some tradition or routine, but out of a genuine desire to know God. That you really go, I want to know you, Jesus. If I was just on a desert island, I would still be doing this. If I had no reason to do this, I'd still be doing this because I want to know you, God. I believe you're real and I want to seek you for myself. I have done much of this journey imperfectly, but I can tell you that when I started to seek God like a friend, my whole life changed. It revolutionized my life. I, 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 was, I went to college here in, in, in the Twin Cities and it wasn't really what I expected, not at least at first. And I was in this kind of weird crossroads of trying to figure out who I was and where I was going in life. And, you know, I'd grown up in faith, but I don't know. There, there was just kind of a disconnect with it being something of my own. And I remember going home to New Zealand over the January break and getting out of the winter. And, and um, my dad said, hey, we should, we should go on a walk and we should just pray. I was like, yeah, Okay. And he said, we'll go to this, we'll walk down to this cool coffee shop and we'll walk back. And I said, yeah, sure. And so we went and we just started this very natural time of seeking God together. And it wasn't forced. It wasn't religious. Sometimes we'd just talk about whatever and then we would pray and we would just be honest before God with what was going on in our lives and our hearts. And we did that and then we did it again and then we did it again. And and we, we did this almost every day that it was home and it, it was so simple, but it was so revolutionary Because maybe for the first time, I realized that I could seek God for myself, that I could know him and communicate with him for myself in a dynamic, powerful way. And this really set my whole life into a different course. From that moment on, this just became an ingrained part of my routine. And I've had ups and downs, absolutely, but I have always come back to this place of seeking God in this way. And I'm kind of twitchy and I talk out loud, so I have to be outside even in the winter and I got to speak out loud, which has created a lot of awkward moments for me outside. Um, But with AirPods, it's helped because you're like, I'm just on a phone call. It's cool. Um, I got to walk. I got to talk. But I have sought God everywhere that I went. And it's revolutionized my life. Because for the first time, I started to cultivate this deep, intimate, personal, private world with Jesus. And it's become the foundation for everything else in my life. It's the one defining anchor moment. It's the thing that I build everything else on. When life gets hard or weird, I strip everything down and I rebuild it on that. The thing is, if we don't seek God for ourselves, we're like a tree that's not really connected to a source of water. We can look okay for a season maybe, but soon we will wither and die. We will not last. Our faith will not last By contrast, if we do connect ourselves to the source of life, when we seek God for ourselves, the impact is extraordinary. Consider Psalm chapter 1, 2, and 3. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person 
is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Look, your faith is going to be tested in seasons and in life and in trials and in difficulty. But the thing that allows us to endure, the thing that keeps our faith on fire is that personal connection to the source of life. But we can't fake that. We can't get that from somebody else. We can't imbibe that from culture. That's got to be something that we make our own. So are you seeking God for yourself? And then, are you being honest? You know, I think it's so strange that we can hide in the church when we know that God knows everything. And that by the very definition of the gospel, it isn't my behavior that redeems me. And so it should be the perfect place to be honest in who we really are. And yet, for whatever reason, we hide. We're not honest. We can kind of just fake it till we make it. We can just kind of show up and hope that if I just keep coming, maybe these doubts I have will go away. Maybe I, you know, I don't really know if I believe this, but if I just keep persevering, if I just keep clinging on, maybe it'll work. And, and Part of making it your your own is not only seeking God for yourself, but just being honest. Say, God, I really don't know about this. I really am wrestling with this. Being honest before God, being honest with others, this is crucial to making our faith our own and keeping our faith on fire. The second key to having a faith on fire is taking God seriously. The way we talk about God, the way that we depict God, the way that we maybe even joke joke about God or turn him into a cartoon, it's incredibly revealing about the content of our intimacy with him. It's incredibly revealing. I think this isn't something that's talked enough about in the church, but one of the clear indications that we have lost our faith or that our faith is not on fire is that there is no reverence anymore. That God just becomes this thing we laugh about, we joke about. You know, church is just this big joke. We don't have any awe. There's no reverence. There's no holiness. We can post memes about Jesus like he's our buddy, like he's our homeboy, and we think it's funny. Oh, lighten up. What's the big deal? I'm telling you, one of the first indications that we've become professional Christians is the way that we joke about God. Because it reveals that we don't really get it. We don't really understand who he is. I mean, if we would just, I think God, if he would reveal even one hundredth of a percent of his holiness to us, we would be immobilized. We couldn't even stand it. To me, your view of God is like the gas gauge. It's, it's such an indication of the content of your faith. We can think, what's the big deal? I think it's a big deal. I think every major spiritual problem ultimately starts with an incorrect view of who God is. We don't sacrifice because God doesn't really care. God's not really worth sacrificing. We don't really take sin seriously because God is my buddy and he doesn't really care how I live. We think God is really just a cosmic vending machine that is there to help facilitate my dreams. And so why would I sacrifice anything at all? 
You see, every spiritual problem is a downstream problem from an inaccurate view of God. As A.W. Tozer, the theologian, reminds us, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his heart conceives God to be like. What we think of when we think of God is the most important thing about us. It is the most revealing thing about us. And we will never rise above a low view of God. And here's the sad thing. When we don't see God clearly, we become proud. We become proud because why surrender if I'm kind of the best thing going? Right? But if, like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, when we, if we would see God for who he is, what that does is it kind of turns it on us. And we see who we are. An accurate view of God gives me an accurate view of myself. And this kills pride. Because I realize how desperately dependent, woefully inadequate, deeply sinful I really am. And it changes everything about how I approach God, myself, and the world around me. So how do we get off track? How did God become a cheap joke Again, I think it's connected to the first key. God becomes a cheap joke when we don't really seek him for ourselves. When he becomes a subject or a culture or just a weekly activity. Because you don't have to revere that. But when you draw near to God, when you seek him personally, desperately, intimately, he begins to reveal his magnificence to you. You begin to read the Bible not as a history book, but as this Holy Spirit-inspired revelation of the power that God is in all of his glory, and it, it radically changes your view of him. Our view of God is connected to our seeking of him. And if we're not seeking him personally, then naturally our view of him is going to diminish until he's nothing more than a cheap joke on the internet. So we need to draw near to God and guard our hearts against the proclivity to make him something cheap. And we do that by seeking him, like I already said. The third key to having a faith on fire is we got to start taking some risks. You know, another great indicator that my faith has become cultural is that I just stop taking risks. I read the Bible, you know, I read the book of Acts and I go, that's interesting, but I don't have to do any of that. Right? Like, I kind of know what I got. I got it locked down. I got my hell insurance. I got my, my routine. Right? I don't, I don't have to do anything else. I'm a good person. I don't go to a lot of R-rated movies. I'm cool. I don't, I, don't, I don't step out anymore. I don't read the Bible as if it's for me. I go, that's cool, but that's not for me. I think one of the great indicators that our faith has become cultural is that we just, we know how to do enough to fit in, but we don't really do anymore. What I've experienced very imperfectly in my own life is that God just keeps kind of pushing you out. You think you got it and you're like, no, another step, another step. I think risk maybe is an unhelpful word when really I think it should just be called obedience. Because when we think risk, we think like bungee jumpers or guys that like do crazy tricks. And that kind of puts risk into this category belonging to special, crazy Christians. When really, I think risk is just believing God's word to the point of acting on it. 
Say, no, I think you actually meant it when you said that I should live this way, do these things, sacrifice this, take the narrow road, take up my cross, make disciples. We like to categorize it as risk because then it helps us to distance ourselves from it. But the truth is, I think God just wants us to be obedient. And a faith on fire that lacks that obedience will go out because it'll stop being relevant in the real world. You see, my faith, to, for it to sustain, I know this sounds weird, but it needs to work. It needs to matter. You know, many of us that are parents, we wonder why our kids are not interested in the church. It's because they don't want to pay the cultural cost for something that's powerless and dead. They need to see a faith that matters, that works, that, that changes stuff, that, that is powerful. But where there is no risk, there is no faith. And in my heart, its proclivity is towards comfort and safety. So how do we get on track? How do we get to this place of being obedient? Well, again, it's back to the first point. We've got to seek God for ourselves because here's what happens. When you seek God, then you see God. And when you see God, then you begin to trust God. And when you trust God, then you start to say, I'm not impressed with all of the rules and obstacles around me. I'm going to do what you say, no matter the cost. But it's an inside-out process. It's an inside-out process. We change what we do by asking God to change who we are. It's not guilt. It's not obligation. It's about inward transformation. It's about becoming the kind of person that does the kinds of things that Jesus did. So again, the, the, the solution is, is both difficult and simple. It's we've got to seek God. We've got to make it our own. And it's a beautiful cycle because what happens is you seek God, you see God, you trust God, you step out. You step out, God moves. This breathes life into your faith and you go back to seeking him all the more. And on and on this cycle goes. And it's a beautiful thing and it's a thing worth dying for. And it's the thing that culture is going to be desperate for because they need to say a faith that's on fire. So to keep on fa our faith on fire, we got to make it on our own. We got to take God seriously. We got to take risks. And then finally this morning, we got to just repeat. We got to repeat. We got to do this again. We got to keep making it our own. Keep taking risks. Keep uh, see, seeing God for who he really is. You know, nothing of significance happens because you did it once. Right? I, I heard an interview with Sean White, the Olympic snowboarder, and he said, how, what, how does someone get to the elite level of your sport? And, and he said, you know, it's not really talent, purely. He said, it's the person that does the crazy trick, that slams on the snow, that picks themselves up and does it again, and does it again, and does it again. It's perseverance. It's not quitting. It's grit. It's not giving up. And you know, we like to think of our faith as something that's just organic, that should just flow out of us, you know, like it just will happen. But we know that that's not true. That's not true of anything in athletics. That's not true of anything in art. That's not true of anything of value. It's gonna be a fight. It's gonna be a fight. But extraordinary, extraordinary people do consistently what normal people do occasionally, right? And that's ultimately what it comes down to. I think people look at extraordinary people and they think they have some just magic it factor, when in reality, they just consistently do what normal people do occasionally, 
and it makes all the difference. We're not on a level plane. Unfortunately, we're either inching towards progress or regressing towards nominalism, and that can sound discouraging, but that's just the reality of life. But the good news is the answer is simply to seek God and allow him to do the work. But Paul reminds us that it is indeed going to be a fight. He says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul often would speak like this, right? Military terminology, sporting terminology, stand firm, run the race, strike a blow to the body. And you might be thinking, God, this sounds heavy. Is it really that much of a burden? What about the whole, my burden is light, yoke is easy thing? Still alert, still a burden, still a yoke. Didn't say it wasn't going to be hard. Just said it wasn't going to be in your power. And just didn't say it was going to be without meaning. You know, I was listening to this interview with Jordan Peterson and the, the secular psychologist, very fascinating guy, won't publicly say he's a follower of Jesus, though I feel like he might be right there. Um, but he said something very fascinating. He said, the suffering of life is offset by the adventure of life. I thought that was very interesting because here's the thing. Jesus never called you and I to easy, never called us to safe, never called us to comfortable. What Jesus calls you and I to is a powerful, dynamic, world-altering adventure to this powerful, incredible adventure that's not going to bypass suffering, that's not going to mitigate suffering, but what it's going to do is infuse meaning into it. Life is hard, but following Jesus gives us incredible purpose and meaning in the difficulty, through the difficulty. It's not suffering that is the hardest thing of life. It's a lack of purpose. It's a lack of meaning. It's no hope. And Jesus calls you and I to an extraordinary adventure to proclaim his truth in the midst of suffering just like he did. We persevere because everything that's difficult requires perseverance. There's no such thing as good and easy. Everything good is hard. But it's not in our power and it's not without meaning. God wants our faith to be on fire and we need it to be, quite frankly. Look at the world. Look at the world. We are in a desperate place and it's not just in Ukraine. It's the spiritual poverty, it's the brokenness and violence all over the world, it's the emptiness, the desperation, and the people living right by you. It's the brokenness in your own families, my own family. We need our faith to be on fire. We need to safeguard ourselves against just being okay, just being comfortable, saying, God, you don't really need me to do that much, do you? Isn't, is it not good enough to just be good? No, God wants so much more for you than that. Don't waste your life with that weak version of Christianity. But we get this by seeking God for ourselves. Prioritizing intimacy with Jesus above all else. We get this by taking God seriously. We confess our tendency to trivialize who Jesus is. And we ask that he would reveal more of himself to us every day. We do this by taking great risks. You know, out of a love and reverence for God, we step out and do things beyond our comfort zones. And finally, we do this by not quitting. 
recognizing that this is going to be a fight, but that he does this fight with us. And that ultimately it is for our good. That God has such extraordinary plans for you, for this church, for your neighbors, for your family. And God wants to use you in a powerful way. You know, there's a lot of you, or maybe some of you here that you're like, yeah, I, I, I hear you. But honestly, I, I'm here and I'm not even sure I really believe this. I got a lot of doubts. I got a lot of questions and I'm just kind of struggling, honestly. And if that's you in this room and, and you don't even really know if you can put your trust in Jesus or maybe you're, you've been on the fence, you've been wrestling, you've been resisting, maybe today's the day where you, you fully surrender to him. You begin this journey of knowing him like a friend. You, you allow him in to forgive you, to change you and to use you in a powerful and profound way. And so if that's you, we do want to talk to you after this. We're going to have some people out in the lobby who want to connect with you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for all of us and and specifically for that person. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to pray with me um, and, and take that step of surrender because none of this makes sense in the absence of knowing the very person who wants to do these things in your life. But don't wait because God has you here for a reason. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for their hearts. Lord, and I just, um, I pray for the person specifically who's wondering, um, is any of this even real? I pray for that person this morning and I say, Jesus, show them that you're real, that they can know you, that they can be forgiven by you, that they can be used to do great things. And for that person, I'm I'm just going to pray. And again, I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you are real. And I invite you to come into my life. I pray that you'd forgive me for the things I've done that have hurt me and those around me. And I pray that you would help me with your power to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.